So this morning, the title of the message today is called Blessed to Be a Blessing. Say that with me. Blessed to be a blessing. And it's basically saying that God didn't just randomly or arbitrarily bless us, but he blessed us for a purpose. He blessed us on purpose. He blessed us with an intention. He blessed us with a view in mind. He blessed us to aid the ability for us to become a channel for his blessing in the earth, that heaven and earth would become one, and that even as we pray, as the Lord taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so that is our mission. We are recognizing what it means to be the seed of Abraham. This was the Old Testament gospel. The Abrahamic covenant is a movie trailer of what's coming. It's, it's going to be about 1,500, 2,000 years out, 2,500 years out. Let me get it right. And then we're on 2,000 years on the other side of that. So he saw the movie trailer 2,500 years before it happened. Christ came. Now we're 2,000 years on the other side of that. So what I'm talking about is about 4,500 to 5,000 years ago when God met with Abram and his life changed. And because of the covenant he made with him, it wasn't just Abram's individual life that changed only, but it literally changed the whole world. Because God made promises to Abram, and he said, I will bless you, I will make your name great, I will make you into a great nation, you will be a blessing, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that came through the singular seed of Christ. And now that is the filter. We look back to the Old Testament and we put on New Testament glasses and now we can see Christ all over the Old Testament. We see him as the Lamb of of God, particularly the ram that was caught in the thicket by his horns when Isaac ascended the mountain of Moriah and he said, Father, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abram said, or by this time his name was Abraham, he said, Son, God will provide himself the lamb. And God the Son showed up, God himself provided himself, the Lamb of God, who became the sacrifice for the sins of the world. If you're grateful for that, say amen. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 has been our series text. It says, and now that you belong to Christ, everybody say those three words, belong to Christ. You are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Okay? So now that I recognize the New Testament tells me that the covenant God made with Abraham is relevant to me because of who I am. I belong to Christ because Christ is that singular seed, that line that the the blessing of God came through that all the families of the earth would be blessed because now as I look at that filter that determines who Israel is, who is the real true seed of God, it's whether or not you're in Christ. Okay? Now... There were two earthly seeds and there was a heavenly seed. There was the dust of the earth and there was the sand of the sea. And we see the seed of Ishmael and we see the seed of Isaac in the natural. But God's intention, ultimately, he purposed in Christ Jesus. The eternal purpose, Ephesians 3, says that he purposed before the foundation of the world was in Christ. And so the true seed of Abraham are the stars of the heavens, the heavenly seed of Abraham. And now the Gentiles are apart, not by keeping the law, but by faith. And that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. It's not about go and get circumcised, go and become a Jew first before you become a Christian. 
It's all about the fact that you have believed into God and we followed our father of faith, Abraham, who believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Somebody say amen. All right, so that gives you a little bit of a review. The text this morning that I want you to see is the famous shepherd chapter where Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. He says in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The New International Version says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. How many of you you know God wants you to be literally spilling over the brim with the joy of the Lord because the blessings of God's goodness are so great in your life? That's, that's God's desire for your heart, that you would be walking with him, that you're walking in wisdom, you're living in righteousness and peace and joy is the byproduct of that. And in the middle of that life, in the middle of that life, it's not just a ticket to heaven, but it's God's kingdom come now into your life, bringing order out of your chaos, creating a message out of your mess developing a testimony through the test of the circumstances that you have been through. God has a purpose. We have to learn to trust Him in the process. Somebody say amen. One thing that I want you to get this morning. The Lord who sees and provides blesses us for a purpose. One line, very simple. Say it with me. The Lord who sees and provides blesses us for a purpose. That's Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yiri as we've already taught. That was the name of the place that Abraham named that location on the mountain because God himself had revealed himself. His name, his nature are the same. God signed his signature, Yahweh Yuri. He was saying, this is a sign to you that my nature is to see your need before you even experience it and to provide for those needs in the promises of God that I've made to you. Release your faith in me, trust in me, and I will see to it that everything that you have or need is already provided. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. The Lord who sees and provides blesses us for a purpose. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, I have been for weeks reading. This is just a little bit of the reading that I've been doing. That You May Prosper is a theological treatise written by an Anglican pastor who talks about how God's design in the covenant is to establish influence and blessing so that the people of God will gain dominion in the earth. How many of you know God wants you to prosper? All right. Now, if, if you've already turned me off and you're thinking I'm preaching the TV version of the prosperity gospel, I'm not. I think anytime you put any word in front of the gospel, you have just hijacked the gospel. I think the gospel is comprehensive. It is not just about a home in heaven for the future, but it's about everything that has to do with the life of God, a rich and satisfying life, an abundant life of learning how to walk with the Lord and be led by the Spirit, seeing the supernatural blessings of God come in our lives on a regular daily basis. So this one is for the real student. I read that about 15 years ago, and I went back and scanned it in the last couple of weeks. I just read this one. This is a business book called The Prosperity Paradox. It's about how nations 
some nations are able to prosper and thrive and are able to pull the resources and the training and the skill sets and the education where others have literally been injected with billions of dollars of U.S. aid, but yet still nothing has changed. Actually, the, the poverty line has increased and more people are in poverty in those nations than have ever been before. And so just throwing money at a problem is not going to fix it. How many of you know it's the lottery syndrome when people are living in poverty with a poverty mentality and they win $10 million and in five years they have absolutely nothing to show for it because they've lived like poor folk and they blow through it, don't make any investments, don't save anything, and they're all about living in the moment. Now, why are you doing this, Pastor? Because I want this church to get established with a covenantal thinking that will break the poverty mentality that is in the Delta. I want you to hear me because these are biblical principles. Now, this is what I, what I want you to understand. I, I, I believe that there are two views in Scripture. If you take all the poverty Scriptures of don't store up treasures in the earth where moth and dust do corrupt, but store them up in heaven and, and take everything you have and sell it and give it away. And those, these are the Scriptures that are gathered up by the people who teach poverty theology. And then you go over here and you take all the prosperity scriptures and you pull them all out of context. And when you do that, then you have created a, a, a kind of a pendulum effect. I was raised with a poverty mentality. My folks were Pentecostals and they were taught that it was a spiritual thing to be poor. You know, because after all, it's harder for, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples' response were, well, how can any of us enter then? Now, I want you to see this morning that any time we take part of the Scripture and remove it from the rest, we have just created an idol. We need both. Therefore, when it comes to poverty thinking or prosperity thinking, I grab a hold of both and I teach what's called stewardship, which is in the middle. Be faithful in the little things. God will cause you to be ruler over much. Take your labor and work hard. Too much of what you see on television is a bastardized, yes, I just said that word in church. It is an illegitimate version of the gospel when they call it prosperity gospel. Benny Hinn just came out recently and said, I have been wrong. I have to make an adjustment in what I've been teaching. And it's basically this idea that if you'll give a great, big, huge, outrageously sized gift to my ministry, then God will just swoop and get, get you out of debt instantly. Well, let me just say this. If God did get some of you in this room instantly out of debt, you'd be right back in it in about two years. Because until you learn how to manage money, and the church sucks at that. Yeah, I just said that too. We don't do well because we've not been taught biblical principles of economics. We've not been taught that I am the child of God and because I belong to Christ, I'm the seed of Abraham and God's blessing is on my life. Are y'all listening to me this morning or did I, have I just offended everybody by using... The Bible says worse than what I said this morning. If you read your Bible. Now I want you to see that God wants to break that. Now... The gospel preached in Silicon Valley would probably come more to the side of you need to quit trusting in all your riches and you need to sell everything and give it to God. 
But in the Delta, we are so immersed in the poverty side, we have to swing the pendulum over and learn this other side over here and then come back to a middle place of, God, lead me, let me be faithful in little things so that I can be ruler over whatever you put into my hands. Right now, you have as much as God can trust you with. You want more? Then you learn to be led by the Spirit, get some wisdom in your decisions, make some good investments, learn to save, quit living off of credit cards. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good right now. Learn to get some control and don't have to just go slide the card so you can get some instant gratification. Let me tell you, it is a disease. It is an addiction. Shopaholism can grab you just like an opioid can because you go get something new and you feel that high for a little while and you're excited about it and you drive it or you wear it or, or, or you play with it or you shoot it or whatever you do, you're excited about it. But in three months, you, you don't even care anything about it anymore. And the high is gone. And I want to teach you, I believe that God wants to give us some vision. He wants to give some business people, some entrepreneurs, some vision that they're the seed of Abraham, that we can create new companies and innovate new ideas and employ folk and train them and teach them. It's not all about a liberal arts bachelor's degree. Folk need to get some training. How many, how many of you know, if you, can, if you can work on HVAC or you're a plumber or an electrician, my God, you can make a quarter of a million dollars a year doing that stuff. More than somebody who's got a liberal arts degree flipping burgers down at Burger King. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good right now. We've got to get out of this idea that glory is all in this liberal arts bachelor's degree education and we've got to open our hearts here in the Delta to some fresh ideas that God wants to bless us. We have been blessed to be a blessing. God wants to bless this church. He wants to bless us so we can speak to the poverty of this region. He wants to stretch you as an employer so that you can take a young person and mentor them and bring them out of the impoverished thinking that's kept them in bondage for generations. I'm excited about this because I've been immersing myself in it for weeks. Robert Morris, great friend, wonderful book called The Blessed Life. I would recommend any of these to you. This one comes from a more of a church perspective with some great stories of how God has just poured out his blessing in his life. And this is a Jewish professor from New York University. God wants you to be rich. Now that's a scary title. But he's basically saying, why would a good God tap one man? And he, every, every chapter starts with a scripture out of the Abrahamic covenant, out of the old covenant. It's a Jewish New York University professor of economics who teaches people that the covenant of the Old Testament is a covenant of blessing. Now, let me ask you this. If God blessed and healed people in the Old Testament and the book of Hebrews said the new one is better than the old, but now we've got so many religious people that says, well, God doesn't do any of that anymore. How can the new be better than the old if the new doesn't do half of what the old did? Thank you, Brent. I appreciate you. Everybody else, I'm going to come around and pop, pop you on the head and wake you up in the name of Jesus. How and why everyone can enjoy material and spiritual wealth in our abundant world. There's abundance. There's abundance. We've got to break out of a scarcity mentality and begin to see abundance. It was, it was the Enlightenment period, 1798, Thomas Malthus was an Anglican English, he was an English cleric, an Anglican. Uh, the American version is the Episcopalian church. 
And he writes a book and publishes in the 1798 an essay on the principle of population. He said in 1798 that within the next two generations that the population of the world would increase so till mass famines we would not be able to feed all of the people that would be on the planet. And so from his name, from his name, we have gotten the idea of a Malthusian end-of-the-world vision. It's, it's typical end of the world. The world, it, it's chicken little. The, 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 the world is ending. The world is ending. The end is coming. It's over with. And there's a Frenchman by the name of Condorcet who stands up and says, that is all nonsense. We're going to enter a period of the greatest amount of flourishing and abundance that the earth has never known. And what Malthus didn't know was that we were just on the brink of what was called the Industrial Revolution. Cyrus McCormick was going to invent the reaper where it would take 12 men a day to reap an acre of, of, of wheat. One man could now take one reaper and reap that whole acre in one day. So one little simple handheld tool changed everything in terms of the production of food so that as the world's population did increase, Somebody came along with a God-given idea and innovation changed, technology changed and what was seen to be scarcity all of a sudden exploded into abundance. Now, what I'm trying to tell you, and I can multiply hundreds of examples because this is how I taught history in, the, in my American history classes. You will always find somebody with a placard in the street going, the end is coming. The end of the world is near. Chicken little mentalities. The sky is falling. But I'm going to tell you, because you are connected to the God who made all of this, you do not have to live with a scarcity mentality. You have a God of abundance, a God who sees and provides. Are you all with me this morning? I want you to see this, point number one. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 15, basically, God says to, to Abram, he says, I want you to go get some animals for sacrifice, and I want you to split them in two and lay them out. And they're stacked up together, half of the, half of the, the ram on this side, half of the ram on the, on the other. So literally you're seeing the, the, this is an animal that's been cut in two. And so he, he tells Abraham, get those sacrifices ready because I'm going to come down and meet with you. And he says, I want you to protect the sacrifices because the birds are going to try and come and eat up what you put out there. How many of you know there's always an enemy that's going to try to destroy and steal from you he will steal and kill. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Everybody say abundant life. Not scarce life, not scarcity, but abundant life. And, and, and the scripture says that Abraham drove the birds back. How many you know sometimes when you're in the process trusting God, you have to drive back the, 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 the thoughts of fear and the thoughts of doubt. And Oh God, did I really hear you right? Because it's sure not looking like what you said you were going to do. When are you going to show up and bring an answer? When are you going to show up and touch and heal? When are you going to show up and bring provision? How I many you know you've got to drive back some birds that want to come and peck away at the sacrifice that you put out there for God to do? And the scripture says God made a deep sleep fall over Abraham. And the Bible says the smoking furnace and the flaming torch walked in between the pieces. That's a picture of the father and the son. Everybody say the smoking furnace and the flaming torch. 
And literally what happened is God the Father and God the Son came down and walked among the pieces. And what you see me doing here, I want you to go ahead and put that up for me. The symbol of infinity literally came from this circumstance right here. Literally interpreted mathematically as an infinite amount, an, an unenumerable amount. Also meant spiritually, metaphysically as eternity, something that is unending, something that, that, that cannot be grasped in our finite thinking. And, and the smoking furnace and the flaming torch came and, and walked among Abraham and the sacrifices and spoke promises over him and declared that the word of the Lord, the promise of God that was his portion, would, would be revealed into his life. And Abraham wakes up out of the sleep and something's changed. He begins to see God move in a powerful way in his life. And I want you just for a moment to understand covenant. Because when God makes a covenant with you and he speaks promises over your life, his word is true and he won't go back on his word. He finishes what he starts. We have to, when we see in part, we have to prophesy the promise of God. We have to declare the goodness and the blessing of God over our lives. Now, too often, what we do is we just want God to zip open the heavens and drop lunch down. But what we don't realize is that God will give us a little piece of dirt, and he'll give us some seeds, and he'll give us a, a watering hose, and he'll, he'll give us a little rake and a hoe. He will put in your hand the tools to bring blessing about. But you have to work all of those things to produce what you're wanting to see happen in your life. Everybody say, my labor and God's favor. Too many times the prosperity gospel is all about, my, it's all about God's favor and it's not about me doing anything. How do you know God still expects you to work? You've got a job to do. You're to, you're to go on the job and to demonstrate the, the right attitude and the goodness of God and Christian integrity. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. Somebody say amen. And so when I take my labor and I'm consistent and he begins to pour his favor onto it, God will take you and promote you and bless you and prosper you. I was so excited. Josh Brewer, who sang this morning, Oh, Come to the Altar, he shared with me right before service. He said, Pastor, I'm so excited. He said, you know, we were praying and I wanted a job at FedEx. And he said, I've been working with them for nine months and I just got a promotion. And he said, the promotion I got, it usually takes folk a year and a half to two years to get it. And I got it in nine months because the favor of God's on my life. I said, come on, brother. Do you mind if I tell that story this morning? Because I want folk to see and understand that if you'll lean into God and put your hope and your faith and your trust in Him, He can bless your business. He can bless your sale. He can bring folk on the lot to you that are ready to buy more cars. He can, he can give you a new idea and create a spirit of innovation in your life that'll bless a whole lot of folk and make you crazy rich if you can be trusted with it. Because right now, stewardship is... That am I being faithful in the little things? Am I being faithful? You know, we we, we got to break out of our lottery mentality. We got to quit saying, "God, I just ask you, I'm gonna buy this ticket. Let me let me win the 150 million dollars." Now, you know, I I believe there's some people in this church that if you did, you'd you'd bless this and we'd pay this building off and you'd bless a bunch of people. I believe there's some folks that can win or they can. God will give them a new idea or they'll give them wisdom. What is it? Proverbs 13 says, I wisdom create witty inventions. Come on, folk. Do you know the story about the post-it note? 
it was a was a lab scientist who was a Christian and he got tired of the tabs falling out of his hymnal at church and so he came up with an idea to put a little sticky on the back of those notes so that it would hold it in place 3M company grabbed that took that idea that innovation and it has exploded into a multi-billion dollar all kinds of post-it notes and all different kinds of colors and shapes and things that are special specific to different things that you do what I'm telling you is there was nothing special about that brother, but isn't it interesting that he was a Christian and he was in worship and he was frustrated that the pieces of paper kept falling out of his hymnal and he wanted to worship God and he said, I'm going to figure out a way to put something sticky on the back of that post-it note where I post and how many of you know uh, he's walking in some blessing because he came up with that idea. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Do you know, do you know his God is not any bigger than your God. His God is your God. He's a brother in Christ. And if we can learn, if we can break out of our poverty mentality and begin to see that God's blessed us for a purpose, He's blessed us for a blessing, He's blessed us so we can bless others, He's blessed us so we can advance the kingdom of God, so that we can break the back of this spirit in the delta. Come on, somebody. Are y'all with me this morning? Understanding covenant. Livingston, Stanley and Livingston, in that. Uh, amazing testimony of history that we look to when they went deep into the corridors of Africa and they lived with tribes and they saw over a period of, of years how warring tribes would come together and send a representative. They would gather together maybe a, on a hill or in a valley and one tribe on one side, one tribe on another and they would send the two chiefs, the representatives of those two tribes together and the chiefs would basically stand and declare. They would speak words to say promises. Our strengths will now cover your weaknesses. Our strengths will cover your weaknesses. We've got your back. We will cover. Now, I'm not saying it in tribalese. This is the American version here. Basically, we're saying, I will bless those who bless you Folk who come against you, just let us know. We're going to come to your defense. Folk who treat you with contempt, somebody attacks you, all of our warriors and we are at your disposal. We will come to your side and defend you. Come on, somebody. When you let the Lord fight your battles, come on, you don't have to do it yourself. So they stand there and they make promises. And they literally, Stanley and Livingston, who saw this literally and recorded it in history, saw two chiefs take a knife and cut their hands and let the blood drip. And then they took their hands and they joined them together so that their blood mingled. It was literally the picture of a covenant that was being cut. That's why we talk and use the, the language to cut a covenant. The blood mingled, the blood dripped. And because they became one, because the chiefs of the two tribes had become one, the representatives of those two tribes were now one, those two tribes themselves were one. They are our brothers. They are our sisters. We will come to their defense. We will take what we have in abundance and we will bless them with it. When they're hurting, we will help them. We will come alongside them. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but that literally is the history of the handshake. That's where it came from, was this tribal concept of cutting a covenant. When I shake hands with a brother and I look him in the eye and I give my word, that history... Of thank, you, thank God we don't have to take a knife out and, and let blood drip and mingle blood. But I want you to see that when we as men give our word, my dad taught me your word is your bond, son. 
When you make a commitment, keep it. Don't go back on your word. And when I shake hands with you and we look each other in the eye and I give you my word, that, the story, is where the history of where that came from. It is literally the two joining in one. I am, I am shaking my hands. I'm giving you fellowship. I'm extending all that I am now to you to be a blessing to you. Come on, somebody. Are you getting anything out of this? The, the Puritans, the Puritans who were the planting generation of America came to these shores fleeing religious persecution with a desire to build the kingdom of God, to build a city on a hill. And they came with this covenantal awareness that if they would labor consistently, God would consistently put his favor on their labor and he would bless their socks off. And in a generation, prosperity began to emerge. In three generations, it was outlandish wealth. The Puritans are the predecessors to the Presbyterians. Have you guys driven down Union lately? Have you seen Idlewild Presbyterian Church? Have you been by, down Poplar and seen Second Pres? Maybe over on Walnut Grove and seen Independent Presbyterian? Those people have money they hadn't counted yet. Y'all with me? Can you imagine trying to build Idlewild Presbyterian Church these days? That, you can't insure a building like that. That building is, is almost invaluable. It, the, the, the craftsmanship, the artisanship that is in all of that stonework, nobody does that anymore. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of millions, probably over a billion dollars in terms of value sitting there on that property in gorgeous stained glass and stonework. That's generations of people trusting God to bless what they put their hand to. Well, I'm thank you for the three of you that believe what I'm saying this morning. Don't patty cake. Come on. Everybody, come on. Give the Lord a hand. Come on, everybody. God has blessed you to be a blessing. Get out of the poverty mentality. Quit thinking. Poverty is not just the condition of your checkbook. Poverty is in your mind. When, you, when you're walking with a God who created everything, you have all the abundance that you will ever need. If you're in an industry that goes kaput, God can give you another one. You know, when all of the Japanese cars were taking over and everything that was made in America was just a piece of whatever you fill in the blank, in the 1970s, there were rattle traps falling apart and everybody started buying Japanese. They were taking the innovations we made in America and they were polishing it and perfecting it and making it cheaper making it better. And we had this outrageous crisis, the 1973 oil crisis, and gasoline was rationed, and people were lined up down the streets trying to get a few gallons of gas and complaining about 49, 39 cents a gallon. Heaven help us. When I graduated high school, gasoline was 79 cents a gallon. Yeah, that was back in alt six. And you know what? Somebody came along and, in, and invented, we got out of that big old double-barrel carburetor situation that we were in that was sucking in gas like crazy, and somebody came along and, and invented fuel injection. And all of a sudden, the whole view of the amount of gas we have now dramatically changed because how we used it changed. We were way more efficient. And so scarcity got flipped on its head and all of a sudden, we're in abundance. Am, am I breaking through to anybody this morning? 
If you're interested in that kind of stuff, the prosperity paradox is great for you. You'll love it because it's, it is a testimonial situation of history and how products have been invented that have turned it around. Technology in, in Professor Pilzer's. By the way, I just got to tell you this. Paul Zane Pilzer, Jewish New York University professor of economics, wrote a book three decades ago called Unlimited Wealth, and Sam Walton read it and gave it to all of his leaders in Walmart. And Sam said, this guy's thinking changed my life. Now, y'all, I was in Bentonville the weekend of Labor Day. And I saw the dime store that Sam started out in. And his family now, his grandchildren, the Walton family, are the richest family in the world. He started out in little nowhere, Arkansas. Am I in the right place this morning? Maybe you feel like this is more motivational than it is gospel. How many of you know Sam was a Presbyterian? There you go. Believer, loved the Lord, never took a vacation in his life. He said, the Lord says work six days, rest one. He would take off every seventh day, never took a vacation. Later on, when he got so much money he didn't have room to count it, I think he took his wife to a few places. But this was the kind of hard work. It was that Puritan work ethic. It was... Work like it all depends on you, but pray like it all depends on God. And when you put those two things together, God will show up in your life and show out. Come on, put your hands together and give Him praise. The Lord who sees and provides blesses us for a purpose. Genesis 17, point number two. Help me, Holy Spirit. I, I got in the middle of this and got excited and I preached stuff that's coming out of these books and it's not in my notes. And If I don't get all this done, that's fine. I believe you've gotten an impartation today, some excitement about trusting God for his blessing. Have you? Come on, somebody. A covenant with God will always change you. Genesis 17 is, is, an, is the next step. God still doesn't have a son and he's, he's struggling. He's struggling in the process. He sees in part and he's doing his best to prophesy in the middle of, uh, of the lack of an heir and God shows up this time, third time's the charm, and he says, guess what? It's about time. I'm going to give you a name change. I'm going to change your identity. This is tied up in how you think. You've got to quit thinking from a poverty mentality and start thinking from an abundance, blessed mentality. I belong to Christ and I'm the seed of Abraham and the promises of God are mine. Go ahead and put that up if you would for me. I want you to see this. Sarah, Sarai becomes Sarah. Abram becomes Abraham. Now look in the parentheses in both of those. God adds an ah to Sarah and a ha to Abraham, to Abram. Now I don't think this is a coincidence because when Abraham's ha met Sarah's ah, they had a baby and the baby's name Isaac literally means laughter. Everybody go, ah How many of you know when God makes an investment in your life? I wish somebody would help me preach a little bit in this room. When God makes an investment in your life, when he puts a promise down on the inside of you, when he gives you spiritual injection, fuel injection of faith into your life, and he presses something on the inside of you, and he says, you are no longer who you used to be, but you're a new creation. You're going to know yourself now by a whole new identity. 
I want you to go down to your local watering hole, Abram, and tell all those boys down there that have been laughing at you. You're, you're not quite a hundred, but you're getting there. I want you to tell them that God changed your name. You're no longer Abram, exalted father, but you're Abraham, your father of many nations. Can you imagine the dudes down there drinking their Mick Ultra? They're all... <laughs> this old geezer has lost his mind. Well, yeah, about 15 months later when the baby was born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, when Abraham's ha meant Sarah's ah, and ha, 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 Isaac was born. What am I saying to you? A covenant with God will always change you. It will transform your thinking. I've taught my children this from the time they were little, and it blows my mind to see the outrageous blessing that both of them are walking in right now because they trust God. Drew calls and says, Dad, I, I, I've got a deal on the table with, and, and y'all, I'm talking about Fortune 100 companies. He said, they're about to sign with me, and it's going to mean crazy money. I need you to pray. I said, son, you've been working it. You've been laboring. Let's trust God for his favor. Two days later, he calls me back, and he says, Dad, they awarded me the contract. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy because he, he, he's just, he is just bold enough to have the faith and walk in there with confidence and, 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 and talk to him about the Lord and about his dad who's a preacher in a little no-count town in Arkansas. Come on, if God can do for Sam in Benville, he can do for victory here in Marion that can literally shake the world. He can do it for you over there at the car lot on 3rd Street, McAlpin. He can do it for you. Jerome, your days are not over. There's a creative spirit on the inside of you. You're a man of God. And I prophesy innovation and creativity over your life. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Oh, God, help me. God, God wants to put some laughter in your life. He wants to add an ah and put a ha. Ah. You and your partner and bring those two together and birth a new business, birth a dream, raise some champions, touch the world, influence, have dominion, blessed to be a blessing. Is anybody in the house hearing what I'm saying? Come on. Point number three, and let me finish. God is a giver. And in his nature, his ministry, and who he is, he expects his image to be multiplied in you. For God so loved that he gave. The first law of love is giving. When you have abundance, you are generous. We have to break the back of the spirit of mammon in this church. God doesn't need your tithe. You need to give it. Because that sets a process in play that releases the blessing and the abundance of God in your life. Malachi 3 says, you've robbed me. And the priest said, how have we robbed you? He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And he said, you bring the weakest and the sickly of the flock. And, and, and when the rod passes over, you pull out the best for yourself instead of just letting every tenth one be mine. And you'll bring me those with three-legged sheep and one eye and, and, and all broke down, no good, you know, eat up with the mange. And you think that's a sacrifice to me. God says, I'm not putting up with it. Bring me your best. Proverbs 3, 10. 3, 9 and 10. 
Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase and he will cause your barns to be filled with plenty and your presses to spring forth with new wine. When you put God first in your life and you break the spirit of mammon so that money is not ruling you, but you're ruling it, and you bring blessing into the house of the Lord, and God starts to super abundantly, aboundingly bless you, and you start sharing with others that are in need, and not just to give them a fish so that they can eat, but teaching them how to fish so that God can begin to pour out blessing in and through their lives. Come on, somebody. God is the giver, for God so loved he gave. Give your time. Look, it's the end of the month. We've been saying it. If you're not on a serve team, get your butt in gear and get on a serve team. Time is who you are. You're giving yourself. All we're asking is a Sunday or two a month. Give yourself. There's no greater gift than to give yourself. When, when parents get so consumed with making money and the dollar becomes almighty and the spirit of mammon becomes almighty and they end up throwing money and things at their children, so many times those children rebel and go, all I ever wanted was just to be with you. I don't want the stuff. I don't want the money. Yeah, it's fun to have the stuff, but I don't want to have the stuff and you not be out there with me enjoying it with me, Dad. I want you to be with me, Mom. Come on. The greatest gift you can give is your time. When you start to give your time, when you give it to God, He blesses it, and then He multiplies it back to you. God can't multiply something He's not blessed, and He won't bless something you've not given to Him. Come on. Talent. Talent is your unique gifts and abilities. It's who you are. It's your DNA code. It's, it's, it's the strength that you have that I don't have. It's the part of the pie that we need to bring together that makes victory who it is. Your treasure. Scripture says that's where your heart is. Dr. Billy Graham says, you want to show me how much you love God? Show me two things. Show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. When you see what, I, what you do with your time and where you spend your money, that's how much you really love God. You be your own judge and jury. I'm not your judge. I have nobody in mind. I'm not loaded for bear for anybody. I'm preaching a simple principle of the kingdom of God. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Scarcity produces greed. Abundance produces generosity. Everybody say, abundance produces generosity. I'm sweating so my my glasses are fogging. Scriptures I'm going to read and I'm finished. Y'all got anything out of this today? First Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. First Samuel 2, 8 and 9. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. You can work your fingers to the bone, but your labor by itself, you might get some increase, but it's when God's favor comes on your labor that crazy success can be your portion. Come on, everybody, put God first. Say amen. Now, you've got a job to do because Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. That's the New Living Translation. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. There's 100,000 get-rich-quick schemes. Come on, you can go get you a gun and you can hold up a bank and get rich quick, but a whole lot of sorrow comes with it when they catch your carcass. God blesses you and there's no sorrow with it. Come on, you can cook up some meth, 
and you can sell it and get real rich quick. And you know what? You can cook it the wrong way and you can blow up where you're cooking. The sorrow. I'm using outrageous examples. I know it, but it keeps you awake. There's a lot of ways you can get rich, but a whole lot of sorrow comes with it. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Last scriptures, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. One thing, the Lord who sees and provides blesses us for a purpose. The Lord who sees and provides blesses you for a specific reason so that you can be blessed to be a blessing. I believe there are two kinds of people sitting here in this room this morning. First of all, those who know the Lord and those who don't, and there's some of both. And the hand of blessing is extended to everyone. Scripture says, for whosoever will may come. Drink of the water of life freely. He gives it to you. It's your choice. And the scripture says that what goes on in your heart and what comes out of your mouth determines your relationship to the giver. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. You believe this story about this Savior named Jesus who came and he lived a perfect life and he died in your place. Scripture says, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's some people this morning who need to secure your place in eternity. You need to know that your home in heaven is certain. But there's some people this morning that are living far beneath the privilege. You already know Jesus. If you died right now, you would be in the presence of the Lord. But you're living in poverty because of a way of thinking. Some some ways that you've not learned to manage money. And God wants to bless you. He wants to deliver you from that. And there's not just one fell swoop that he'll do it, but there's a process and he'll, he'll show you and teach you and and blessing will begin to come. Promotion, maybe on the work, on the job. Maybe a new job. Maybe a new idea. All I'm wanting to do is just shake up everybody in the room to say, wherever you are, God has more for you than what you have right now. He has more for you in your walk in the Spirit. He has more for you in the power of His Word. He has more for you in blessing, in peace in your house, in joy in your heart. Not always in need, living from payday to payday. You get down you get down to the end of the month and there's too much month left at the end of your money. God doesn't, God doesn't want that. He wants, he wants blessing in your life. This morning, because God gave, He's giving with the expectation of return. He, he gave His Son and He's expecting a whole family of sons to be reproduced and multiplied from what He gave and blessed. Now He's multiplying into a family that's going to populate the whole earth. That's his vision. That's his dream. That's his heart. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. This morning, if